Hey, this morning we're beginning a new series in First and Second Thessalonians. You can find that in the Blue Pew Bible, but I'd rather you find that in the booklet so that you can follow along and also use those things in your community groups. As we turn to the book of First Corinthians here this morning, Corinthians was, I'm sorry, let's try that again. As we turn to the book of First Thessalonians here this morning, Thessalonians was, uh, the letter of First Thessalonians was one of the first books written in the New Testament. There's debate about whether it was the first or second book written in the New Testament. I think the evidence weighs towards it being the second book. But the point is, is that it's written very early. And one of the earliest documents that we have of the new church and of the Christian community, written in about 50 A.D., just merely 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was written to the church in Thessalonica, which, as you can see here, is on the uh, Grecian Peninsula. And the gospel came to the church and came to Thessalonica on Paul's second missionary journey, where he traveled up from Israel across Turkey, modern-day Turkey, over to Philippi, and then over to, to um, Thessalonica. And that is where Paul is writing to this group of Christians. What's remarkable, one of the things that we'll see in this, in this book is that the Apostle Paul was not in Thessalonica for very long at all. And the church in Thessalonica was a group of brand new Christians who had converted to a brand new world religion, and a world was religion that was contrary to everything that they had ever known, everything that they had ever lived, and everything that they had ever been taught about the way that the world works. And here is this group of Christians, not Christians for very long, without a pastor, without much church leadership. And what we see is that in this group of new believers, the gospel is ringing out throughout the world. Read along with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we were, we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do pray for you to send your Spirit for Lord We are powerless and unable to understand your word apart from you. We're unable to change our hearts apart from you. And so, Lord, we beseech you to send your spirit into our midst to open our hearts and to change our hearts through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A question that regularly comes across my mind and that concerns me is why is it that Christianity seems to be having such little impact 
in the United States. Five years ago, James Dobson, as he was retiring from Focus on the Family and giving his farewell address, assessed the state of America this way, and I don't think he'd really state it any differently today. He said this, talking about their ministry that they had. He said, the battles that we fought in the 80s, we were victorious in many of those conflicts with the culture, trying to defend righteousness, trying to defend the unborn child, trying to preserve the dignity of the family and the definition of marriage. We fought all of those battles, but it was a holding action. And now today we are absolutely awash in evil, and the battle is still being waged. We are right now in the midst of the most discouraging period of that long conflict, and humanly speaking, we can say that we have lost all of those battles. His point was to encourage them, which he then went on to do. I mean, he did, to encourage them in the midst of the struggle that God is in control and that they're not going to give up. But it's an incredible statement about the, 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 the cause and the lack of impact of Christianity currently in America. And it's a concern for me not only within our own country, but also here in St. Mary's County, in which 93% of the people that you come across with have no affiliation with a church that preaches the gospel. 66% of the people that you come in contact with have no religious affiliation of any kind. And here it is as a question, something that drives me, that personally motivates me, is that I believe that God has put us here for the advancement of the gospel, that yes, the world would be redeemed through Southern Maryland. But so rarely is it happening in our country. And yet this morning we turn our attention to the church in Thessalonica, a church of young believers that the world was changed through them. How did that happen? It happened because the gospel was ringing out from this church. Is that the gospel was ringing and ring after ring and wave after wave. The gospel was being heard throughout the region. Notice how the gospel spread. We see this in verses 7 through 9. Paul encourages them. He says, listen, you've become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. That this young church that was, being, was known throughout the region, they had become an example to other Christians. It says that, the, that they were, the gospel was ringing out in Macedonia and Achaia, right there on the peninsula, up north in the area now Albania, and then also on the southern peninsula, portion of the peninsula, which would be Achaia. And saying the gospel is ringing out, not only in those places, but it is spreading far and wide. That the gospel is going forth. Not long have these people been Christians, and yet hundreds of miles away without modern communication, people are talking about what was happening in Thessalonica. Verse 9 describes it further. Paul describes his own experience. He says, For they themselves report. Who are the they? It is the people in the other areas. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you. Paul is saying, he says, listen, we are getting stories told to us here about what happened when we were there. Like the news is coming back to us. We don't have to tell other people what happened because people are telling us about what happened when we were there. The gospel was ringing out. Notice the way that this happened, though. 
You know, there is this perception that the gospel principally advances and spreads through apostles like Paul, that it principally spreads through preachers, that it principally spreads through people like the Billy Grahams of the world. And the perception that in Paul's ministry was that he was evangelizing thousands of people who were coming, thousands and thousands of people who were coming to faith in Christ. But that's not the case. Because the pattern of Paul's ministry is that he would preach the gospel and then he'd get kicked out. That's what happened. And the gospel wasn't advancing not so much through Paul, but through ordinary Christians living out their faith. What does it mean for us? Well, I would affirm that certainly preachers have their place in the world. Just saying. But that's never how the gospel spreads and advances. That's not the principal way that it occurs. That it always spreads through the lives of seemingly ordinary Christians. And the gospel ringing out through, from Thessalonica, through the Thessalonian church, had much less to do with their organized mission efforts and much more to do with how the Thessalonian Christians lived out their faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. What does it mean for you and for me? It means that the advancement of the gospel here in this community has a whole lot less to do with me and a whole lot more to do with you. I say that not as a matter of guilt, but that is just simply the reality. Is that your faith matters. The way your faith is lived matters. It is what God uses to advance the gospel throughout the region and throughout the world is what he's been doing for thousands of years. But we have a problem. We in southern Maryland have a problem. We in America have a problem because the gospel is being muted. And today we hear stories of the gospel ringing out in other places around the globe. We hear stories of how the gospel is ringing out through the underground church in China, and people who go and visit the underground church actually say that the stories that we're hearing is less than what is actually occurring. We hear stories about how the gospel is ringing out in Africa, particularly in theological strength in Africa, through the Anglican church. We hear stories about how today... How the, how the gospel is, is spreading quickly through Japan in a way that has not occurred for thousands of years. Here at Cornerstone, some nine years ago, we, we've been supporting a missionary in Japan for 20, almost 20 years now, over 20 years. And, and, and nine years ago, we heard Dan Iverson, the, the leader of that team, and he came and he was telling us about what was happening in Japan, how Japan had been the, place, the, the, the deathbed of so many missionaries. And he came back and he was so excited. And the reason why he was so excited was because for the first time in hundreds of years, there was a church that had a public worship service. For the first time. That was nine years ago. Today, particularly after the the tsunami in Japan, churches are being planted all across the country. Through MTWR, a mission agency that our denominations affiliated with, one of the largest in the country, One in six of their missionaries is involved in church planning in Japan right now because of how rapidly the gospel is spreading currently at this time through that country. And we hear these stories of the gospel ringing out. But here in America, this is what we hear of the decline of the church and the declining influence of the church and the decline of of church attendance in this country. And however, the last 20 years, this is this chart from Barna, about the continued decline of the church attendance in America 
And this would be defined as people who identify going to them church as seldom or minimally frequently. That's, that's what this chart is here. Anyone that would say, I seldom go to church, would fit into this category and be added in those numbers. And then we hear the story of the decline of the church in America. And let me just say very clearly that any church that is not preaching the gospel should, be decli- should decline and it should die, and in my opinion, not fast enough. It's just true. As a church, we're not here for the, pro- the, the propagation of our own traditions. We're here for Jesus Christ and for the advancement of the gospel. And any church that's not doing it shouldn't be a, shouldn't be a church anymore. But what has happened? What has happened that our faith has become irrelevant to our daily life? What has happened that the faith and the life of Christians has become indistinguishable from the people who do not claim to have any religious affiliation around them? What has happened to the lives of Christians in our country and in our own county? I think there's two main two two things in particular. Not complete, these aren't the only things, but two things in particular that have happened to Christians. Not what's happened in the culture. What's happened to Christians and things that Christians themselves have done. One of them is the privatization of Christianity. That in America, with the Christianity's declining social influence, the rise of secularism, political correctness, political correctness, many Christians are feel very threatened by religious pluralism seeming to be unaware of the fact that that's the status of the church around the globe, the, the majority of the church around the globe. But with this rise within our culture, the reactions of Christians is that Christians have wrongly bought into the story of how everyone else is telling them to live their faith, of how everyone else is telling them, this is what your faith, faith is to look like, this is how your faith, faith is to be practiced. And the way the thing that is everyone is being told and that Christians have bought into is that your faith is completely a private matter. It is utterly separate from your work life. It is utterly separate from your social life and from your family life. It's something that's just between you and God. Of course it's separate from your work life. It might affect your income. It might affect your career. Of course it's something that's totally separate. Your faith is something that needs to be totally private. And you know what the result is? is the gospel is not ringing out the privatization of Christianity. The other major challenge is the impersonalization of Christianity. I personally am one. I am very grateful to be living in the information age. I love living in the information age. I'm very grateful for the way that media allows for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth through radio broadcast ministries, through the internet, through the things that third millennium ministries are doing. Uh, you know, I, I, and personally, I love the internet. I'm not an internet junkie, but I love having good answers at my fingertips. Like my car was broken the other day and I set my laptop on my engine block and watched a step-by-step video of how to do the repair I was working on. That's awesome. I love that. I started Googling for, I started doing a search on how to build a, a, a stand for a, a miter saw that I have and I, and I landed on Pinterest. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that thing is amazing. And so I've subscribed, and I recognize that by saying that, a large portion of my manhood has just been, eviscer- <laughs> been eviscerated from me. But, you know, I mean, they've got things on, like, chainsaws. And, and, and so anyhow, as I've, I've been getting these pins and different things, you know, if they called it nail it, I'd be okay. You know, like, as opposed to this little dainty little pin that you stick. I mean, if it was like, ka-chunk, I'm, I'm like, rock on. You know, I mean, but I, I, I have made frozen fractals for birthday cakes. I have, you know, all kinds of things through Pinterest. I, I love living in the information age. And I love having all that access, access at my fingertips. 
But as Christians, and as American Christians, one of the things that's happened is that we look at the information age, and we see these resources that we have of these great godly, you know, preachers, these men and women of God who give these messages that are polished and insightful and astute, and they've got every answer like that. And we look at we say, that is how the gospel advances. That's the way that the gospel principally advances, and I'm grateful for those things. Indeed, some of you here came to faith in Christ through a broadcast ministry. But the perception is that the gospel advances through an impersonalized message. And so sometimes when a Christian decides that they're going to share their faith, they do the shoot and run technique where they run up to someone and be like, oh, no, 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 you need to believe in Jesus. Boom, I'm out. You know, this, this impersonal broadcast, this impersonal message that's coming, that's coming to another person. And the truth is, is that the gospel never, that impersonal broadcast never has been and never will be the way that the gospel principally advances in the globe. But yet, as we as Christians have bought into this impersonalized message, as we have bought into the perception that that is the way that the gospel advances, what has happened is that we as Christians are quite comfortable isolating ourselves from the very people that God has placed us by to reach and to show the gospel before them. And the privatization of Christianity and the impersonalization of it have resulted in a gospel bell that isn't ringing. But we turn and we look at the church in Thessalonica. And Paul commends them. And he commends them not for the message that they're proclaiming, but he commends them for the lives that they are living. Because the gospel rings out, but the way that the gospel rings out is it rings out through new people. Is that when the gospel takes hold of us, it makes us new. We see three different aspects of this new life that comes through Jesus here in this chapter. First off, is that when we start living, we start living and we live for the gospel, and the gospel takes hold of us as new people, is that we live with new heroes. You see, every one of us lives with a hero in our mind, and that hero is the person that we want to become. I want to be a successful person. I want to retire in this certain level of life. I want to become this type of This is who my hero is. This is the person that I'm living for. This is the person that I want to become like. But in the church in Thessalonica, as the gospel came came hold of them, they had a new hero. We see it in verses 6 to 7. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of us. Do you know what happened? They got a new hero. They weren't living anymore for the heroes that everyone else was living for. They weren't imitating the life of everyone who was the most successful person as they defined it in their culture. They were living their life after their hero, who now was the Apostle Paul, ultimately modeled after the Lord Jesus Christ. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You know, in other books of Scripture, in other letters of Paul, Paul commends the church. He says, follow me. Imitate me. I've been among you. Live your life the way I live my life. Imitate me as I follow Christ. But here to the church in Thessalonica, he says, you already are. You already are imitating me. 
you're living your life with different heroes than your friends have, with different heroes than your family has, with different heroes than your workplace has, and different heroes for how your money goes on. You're already doing this. You see, they know, the church in Thessalonica knew, it, was, it made sense to them that the gospel is not this impersonal message, but is something that is deeply personal to me. And these were people who had been Christians for less than a year. You know, sometimes I hear Christians who've been Christians for a long time and say, well, you know, yeah, yeah, well, I'm a new Christian. Like, really? You've been a Christian for a decade and a half. And you're, you're dismissing what the Lord calls you to and the life that he calls you to live because you're a new Christian? These people have been Christians for less than a year. And already, the life that they're living is that they've got to have new heroes that they're living for. And for each one of us, what that means is that there's no excuse for us to be imitators or to have heroes of anything other than Jesus Christ and the people that are living his gospel. Because the gospel gives us a new life, one with new with new heroes. Secondly, with new values. You know, our values are what drive the way that you think. They drive the way that you act. They drive the way that you do business. Just an example of values, the company Motorola story in their company lore was that in the 1950s, a senior executive was uh, negotiating a deal with a South American government. It was a $10 million sale that he was negotiating. It would have increased their annual net profits by nearly 25%. As they were about to close the deal, the executive walked away. And he walked away because the government officials said they weren't ready to sign the deal until they received their $1 million in personal fees or bribes. And at that point, he got up and he walked away. And the CEO of the company not only supported his decision, but also made it clear that Motorola would never accept sale on any terms, nor do business with those government officials ever again. Why did they do that? Because their values drove their life. And what we see in the church in Thessalonica is that they had new values through their relationship in Jesus. Verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In the Greco-Roman world, life was centered on religion. It was the center and the framework for understanding everything. It was the center and framework for understanding life and the universe. It was how business was done. It was what... The, the religion was what set up a person's social identity and also their social mobility. Indeed, many of the businesses in ancient cities, such as Thessalonica, Corinth, and other places, is that the businesses were actually attached to the relevant temple of whatever god it was that was supposed to help that business. So all of life was oriented around this. If you wanted to have a baby, you would go to the god of fertility and get their blessings. If you, were moving, if you were on a business trip to a new town, you would pay homage to the god in that town so that he would bless your visit. Not only that, Thessalonica, Thessalonica, that place, <laughs> that place was, was a free city in the Roman Empire. They had a special status as Roman citizens and as a Roman free city, which meant that they were obligated to worship the Roman goddess, the worship the goddess Roma, and also the emperor. And so for these Christians to turn and walk away from worshiping these idols was monumental and treason and stupid by everybody's perspective of it. Because by doing so, it would have hurt their business, 
It would have hurt their social standing. It would have hurt their family relationships. But what happened is that their values changed. They had new values through their relationship with Jesus Christ, and their lifestyle change was radical enough that without them saying anything, people noticed that their value system turned upside down and affected every area of their life. People noticed that they were different than anybody else. And the word that was spreading throughout hundreds of miles away was, did you hear what's happening in Thessalonica? Did you hear that they're, they're, they're turning away from the idols? That they're abandoning the Roman gods for, for a Jewish one after all? Did you hear that? You see, what was happening is that the gospel was ringing out. It's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Is the gospel ringing out in my life? Am I living for a new hero with new values that are compelling me to live differently? Do others see something in me that is different? And I would encourage you, here's a homework assignment, to go ask your coworkers. To say, I would just like to hear your opinion. Do you have a positive or negative impression of my faith? You know, am, am I a good example of what you think a Christian should be? Don't try to correct it, just listen. You know, I have, one of my interests is learning about this community. Another interest of mine is learning about you. And I'm involved with enough things in our community that I, I run into different people through different organizations and things. And I will meet somebody who usually works on base, like everybody here does. And I'll meet them and I'll say, oh, you know, nice to meet you. Where do you work? And they say, oh, I work in base. I say, oh, really, what division do you work in? And they tell me. And I say, oh, really? You work in 4.2.3.4.5.7? <laughs> and I say, I know someone that works in that division. Do you, know, do you know so-and-so? And they say, yeah, I know them. But how do you know them? And I say, well, they go to my church. And they said, Really? <laughs> I, I never would have guessed that that person goes to church. And I'm like, really? Huh. And, I'm like, and they say, and I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And now they kind of feel like they're ratting them out to the pastor. <laughs> um, and so they're like, well, you know, I, I mean, they, no, they're fine. They're a good person. You know, I'm glad, glad I work with them. They're a good, 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 good coworker, good team member. But yeah, yeah, I, I never would have guessed that they go to church. I'm like, huh. That's not the side that they show me. Other times I have that conversation with people, and the conversation goes like this. Oh, do you know so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you know that person? Um, well, they, they go to my church. Oh, you know, that makes sense. I, I, have so, I have so much respect for that person. You know, the way that we were in this situation, and they usually share a story about a challenging situation. A situation where, they were, where it would have been easy to compromise or an unusual stress. And they say, you know, and just the way that they handled that, yeah, I, I see that. And you know what's happening in those situations? Is that the gospel is ringing out. Is that people are living not only with new heroes, but they're living with new values. And other people cannot help but notice it. Not only that, new hero, new values, and also we're given new work. Chapter 1, verse 3. Paul thanks God. He says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Those of you that have a little bit more familiarity with the Bible will notice the triad there of faith, hope, and love. There's another triad there of work, labor, and steadfastness that goes with that. Paul's identifying, he's saying, listen, I rejoice in you because the practical outworking of your conversion is that your work is driven by your faith and your labor is, flows from your love and your steadfastness and your perseverance comes from the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Your work of faith, that your work flows from your faith. Now, if you were talking to these brand new Christians and you said to them, does your work, like your actual vocation, does your faith affect that? They would say, how can my faith not affect it? My whole world was driven by this other value system. And for me right now, my faith informs the work that I do and that I am engaged in a work of faith because my livelihood has changed. My money has gotten a whole lot tighter because I decided to follow Jesus. In the upcoming chapters, Paul's going to give um, specific instructions about our work. But it's not simply that, yes, the work in terms of our vocation, but also the work of the gospel proper. That these things are flowing out of their faith in Jesus Christ. Work of faith, their labor of love. It was out of love that the Thessalonian Christians have labored to the point of weariness, that, the, that despite not having much visible success, that they are giving love to their neighbors and friends who are persecuting them, that they are giving love unsparingly, that they are loving other people not for what they can gain from them. They are loving other people not for their own advantage, but for their advantage. I love you because you love me so much. I love you because of the way that you make me feel. I just love you so much because we have such a mutually beneficial relationship. No, they're saying, no, there is a labor of love because they are loving people for the benefit of others without anything in return. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, that is perseverance of hope. That the, that the perseverance that they have is that it's not this passive resignation, resignation in the midst of their challenges, but rather an active demonstration an active determination of their faith in the midst of great difficulties that included persecution, and yes, that included death by some of the people in this young church. Do you see what happens when you take these things together of new heroes and new values and new work and you put them together? We see so clearly that the gospel is not impersonal and private, but is something that is deeply personal and publicly visible. It is inherently public. And the result of when those things go together, of a new life and new faith in Jesus Christ, and that turns into new values and new work in the way that we live, like it did in, Th in Thessalonica, is that the gospel rings out. But their life that they lived, despite the challenges, was rooted specifically in three truths that caused this change. And we're going to look at them briefly. We'll see them more in upcoming weeks. But the truths that changed them, that brought about this radical life reorientation that resulted in the gospel ringing out. The truths that changed them were these, that they were chosen by God, that they were loved by God, and that they were going to be delivered by God. We see it here in verse 4, how the gospel rings out through them. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How does Paul know that God has chosen them? Because they have now believed and are living their life for Jesus. Paul's not saying to them, they're not chosen because they had believed, but because God chose them, 
they ended up believing. But Paul's encouragement to them with this truth is not to give them some theological treaties into the mind of God, but rather to encourage these Christians in the midst of a very difficult circumstance and say to them, listen, God has chosen you. Your circumstances don't dictate the status of your salvation. That your relationship with God isn't indicated by the things that are going on around you. Be encouraged. Know that God cannot and indeed will not abandon you. That your relationship is secure and your faith is founded on the God who has grabbed you and chosen you and he will not forsake you. You have been chosen. Not only that, you've been loved by God. He says, brothers, loved by God. Of all the words for love that Paul could have chosen, he chose one that was really rare in Greek usage. Romantic love was the word for eros. Friendly love was the word for phileos, which is we get Philadelphia from. But Paul chose this word that was not very common, this word agape, this word for love that means this unconditional, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love, as Sally Lloyd-Jones articulates it. This, uh, this determined love that God has showered upon them. And he's saying, listen, in the midst of your difficulties, know that you are the beloved of God and his affection is set upon you. It is not because of you, but it is upon you. It's because of Jesus Christ, but his love is focused upon you. You are chosen, you are loved, and you are delivered. Verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us, who delivers us from the wrath of wrath to come. That for these young Christians, their faith was centered on two certain facts of history. Fact number one was that Jesus Christ, God became man, and Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and rose from the grave so that we could have new life eternally and, yes, in this present moment. That was fact number one. Fact number two is that Jesus is coming back. And as historically certain a fact as Jesus' death and resurrection, so is his return. And Paul's point in this is saying is, listen, press on. In the midst of the challenges that you are dealing with, know that God has chosen you, that you are loved, that you are delivered. And as you have hold on to these truths, it is being manifested in your life, and the gospel is ringing out. And it's a calling for each one of us to hold to these truths for those of us here who are believers in Jesus Christ, that yes, that you are chosen, that you are loved that you are delivered through Jesus Christ, and because of that truth, that now you have a new life set up with a new, her- new hero and new values and new work for what you do on a day in and day out. Do you know what this means for us? It means that it's time for us to reject a privatized and impersonal Christianity and instead let the gospel ring loud. That the gospel would ring out loudly through us, through this community, to the ends of the earth. Why? Because our lives fundamentally are different because Jesus is in them. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we confess to you our privatization and impersonalization of the life-changing, deeply personal public message and truth of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would root these truths deeply into us, that through Jesus you have chosen us. You have loved us. You have delivered us. And Lord, would you root those deeply into us that our lives would be new and renewed 
and that your gospel would ring through this community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.